We turn in God's inspired word this morning to Romans chapter 8. One of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. We're going to read the entire chapter this morning, Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, 
But hope that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we knoweth not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The text to which I call your attention this morning is the verses 19 through 22 of Romans 8. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture reveals to us some amazing things about the future. When we fix our eyes upon those things that God has revealed to us in his word, we are encouraged to live in hope. We enter another year of many unknowns, the year 2023, 
But as our Father reveals himself to us in his word, we have reason to live in hope. And that's taught us even by what we are shown concerning God's creation. And from that, perhaps rather peculiar perspective, I point you to the instruction of Romans 8, verses 19 through 22 this morning, as God's creation teaches us to hope. You notice that the text is connected to verse 18 by that little connecting word for. In verse 18, the apostle had spoken of the sufferings of this present time. Those sufferings take many different forms and occur at different times, but they are sufferings with Christ and for his sake in the midst of this world. Those sufferings, as he has explained, are unavoidable on the way to glory. Another way to glory there is not. But those sufferings, no matter how severe and how painful, are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. And that's what we may look forward to. So great is that glory. The glory is everlasting. The suffering in comparison with that glory is but for a moment. The glory is unlimited. The suffering, no matter how great it is sometimes, is always limited. That glory will not be mixed with darkness and sorrow, but shall be pure joy. Suffering is always mixed. Even in the most severe sufferings, there are yet moments of joy by which God bears us up when the children of God experience the blessedness of God's love and have a very clear consciousness of God's presence with them in our Savior, Jesus Christ. But that glory shall be perfect, pure, enjoyable, unhindered fellowship with God. As the apostle considered that glory his soul was filled with a sense of incomprehensible splendor, and God moved him to write that we might also receive a sense of that glory. And I can think of nothing more beneficial for us to focus on for a little while this morning than that glory. That glory of God shall, that shall be revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord, that must be the object of our hope as we enter and make our way through the year 2023. That's the glory. Worthy of our focus, as is evident from the words of our text this morning. You may depend upon it that that glory shall be very great indeed because the whole creation waits for it with earnest expectation. So unlimited is that glory. It will embrace the whole creation. That's Romans 8, verses 19 through 22. 
But as we consider this text for a while this morning and the magnificence of the glory that shall be revealed with the coming of the great day of our Lord, may the Spirit of Christ kindle within us that flame of living hope for our complete redemption. I call your attention to the waiting creature. We notice, first of all, who he is, secondly, what he waits for, and finally, why he waits. What is the identity of this waiting creature? You may find it somewhat of a surprise to be told that the word creature is precisely the same word which in verse 22 is translated creation. The word has reference to the act of creating and so by natural transition came to mean that which is created. Sometimes, and especially when connected by with the adjective all or whole, it signifies the whole created order. Sometimes the word is restricted to one class of creation. It might even have reference simply to men. An example is seen in Mark 16, verse 15, where Jesus gives the great commission, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So what's the meaning here in Romans 8? If only we follow the proper method of interpreting Scripture and determine the context, the concept of the creature, only on the basis of the text, we're given a clear, concise answer to the question who or what this creature is. The Apostle says it's the whole creation. Now, if we are to make any limitations as to what that creation consists, what that includes, those limitations have to be made by the text or the context. We must exclude nothing that's not excluded by the text or context itself. So, when you look at the text, you see that it does limit this concept and eliminate several elements of the creation. In the first place, the, the text and context eliminates the sons of God themselves. Because in verse 23, the apostle distinguishes the children of God from this creature. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. So there the apostle distinguishes between believers in Christ and the rest of creation. So that what we have left then is the whole creation, except the children of God. But the text excludes more. It also eliminates the wicked. 
For it is said of this creature that it waits and longs for the manifestation of the sons of God, that it shall be delivered from the bondage and enter into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That can never be said of the wicked. Apart from Christ, they cannot have any hope of being delivered from the bondage of corruption. Therefore, neither the children of God nor the wicked are included in this concept of the creature. In the third place, it's also evident from the text that the angels are counted out. The good angels are excluded because they're never subject to that bondage and vanity of corruption as, the, as is the creature to which the apostle refers here. And the evil angels are out also because they do not and cannot long for the manifestation of the sons of God. They have no part in the glory that shall be revealed unto those children. The creature then is the whole creation outside the rational moral creatures, men and angels. It includes the entire brute creation in heaven and on earth, refers to the heavenly bodies, as we sang from Psalm 8, the sun, moon, and stars, the planets, and that as they stand related to this earth and affect the earthly creation. It includes the earth and all the elements in the ground, the gold and silver, the brass and iron, the precious stones, diamonds and sapphires, as well as its oil and natural gas. The creation includes the crops of the earth, the trees and plants, flowers and herbs, and finally it includes the animal world. This creature, this creation, with all its individual creatures, is waiting, the text tells us. The earnest expectation of this creature waits the manifestation of the sons of God. So that the whole creation is pictured here as one large creature that with uplifted head is waiting and with outstretched neck straining to get a glimpse of that for which it waits. Now the question is, how can this attitude of an irrational object be explained? It's plain that in the literal sense of the word, this kind of language doesn't apply to the creature, the creation, or the creature. It cannot be said that the brute creation knows and is consciously waiting for that object. But what we have here, people of God, is a figure of speech called personification. That is, when life and reason are ascribed to an inanimate and irrational object. Just as when we read in Scripture of, of the trees rejoicing and the mountains and hills bursting into song and so on, here the whole creation waits with eager expectation. But it is also incomplete 
merely to say that we have here personification, a figure of speech. We must not deny the reality of that which the text teaches. More must be added. The creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. The whole creation shall partake of the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, who loved the world, John 3.16, the cosmos, and the restoration of that creation is intimately related to the revelation of the sons of God. The creation itself is inseparably linked to the sons of God so that the glory that is promised the children of God implies the same for the creation. And I'll have more to say about that in my third point. We turn now then to the question, for what does the creation wait? The earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's the object for which it waits, for which it hopes. Now when the apostle speaks of the manifestation of the sons of God, the understanding is that they are indeed the sons of God, but they've not yet been revealed as such. Sons of God are yet hidden. The apostle speaks of you and me, who are sons of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're sons of God because God has adopted us as his sons. Even in his eternal counsel, he adopted us in Christ Jesus. He looked upon us as objects of his love from eternity. But that adoption was realized in the cross. That sonship that we had lost in Adam was restored by Christ. By the death of God's only begotten Son, we who were dead in sin and death and corruption receive from God the right of sonship. And this right was sealed in the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus Christ at God's right hand. But God not only adopted us as his children, and gave us the right to be called his children and to live in his house, in the fellowship of his love, he realized our adoption and took us into his family by his irresistible grace, giving us to enjoy that covenant fellowship of our heavenly Father. And that's the whole first section of this chapter that we read, Romans 8. He sent his spirit into our hearts and regenerated us so that we could experience and enjoy that sonship. He called us out of the darkness of sin and corruption into the liberty of the glory of God's children. God has made us his children, not only legally, but spiritually. But our sonship is still hidden. Don't misunderstand, that doesn't mean that we cannot tell who are the children of God. That must become manifest. 
The children of God must confess that. That's your calling and mine to confess that we are children of God and to manifest that in our walk. That's evident from all Scripture. And insofar as we confess that we are children of God and walk as his children, we manifest that we are his children. But in this world, we do not become revealed in our true character as the children of God. And that's true from many perspectives when you consider it. From many points of view, we are not seen as children of God. The person walking by us on the street cannot identify us as a child of God. We look just like anyone else, just about anyone else. In the first place, as God's children, we're not yet seen as those who are perfect in Christ Jesus. Sons of God are perfect, even as he is perfect. But because of our sinful natures, we don't yet shine forth in that perfection. And sin so cleaves to our thinking and willing and all our actions, we're compelled to pray, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. In the second place, we're not yet revealed in the, in the character of glory. The glory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Sons of God are glorious. Partakers of heavenly glory. But that heavenly glory that God has given us in Christ Jesus is hidden by the image of the earthly. We look earthly as long as we are in this world. And we cannot be revealed in our full glory as the children of God until the Lord returns and gives us our resurrection body. And then in the third place, our our sonship is hidden from the viewpoint of life and death. As children of God, we possess life everlasting. We can never die. As the Lord Jesus expressed to Martha on the occasion of the death of Lazarus, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. But that everlasting life that is ours isn't seen with these eyes, is it? I've seen much death, both of the righteous and the wicked. And in the casket, you can't tell them apart. Our sonship, with its life everlasting, is hidden from that point of view. And still more, our sonship is hidden from the viewpoint of our position of dominion and power over all. Sons of God possess all things, says the Scriptures. We've been given all things in Christ, who possesses all things in heaven and on earth. All is yours, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God. Do we see that? We look around us, and with few exceptions, 
the things of this world, the power, the wealth, the honor, are in the hands of the ungodly. So much is that the case that it becomes more and more difficult even to run a business or hold a job in this world without compromising the truth of God and faith in Christ Jesus. And it's going to become much worse. When you look at the positions and the condition of the children of God in this world, from an outward point of view, there seems to be every reason that God would be ashamed of such children in their sinful condition and their lowly state and their lack of accomplishment. I say from a worldly perspective. But the text says, the time is coming, and shall come when they shall be revealed as the living sons of God. There's a cover over us presently that hides us and causes our perfection and our glory to be hidden before the eyes of the whole world. But in that great day of days, God is going to remove that cover. And that's what we have to look forward to, beloved. Another new year only draws us closer to that day. Sin shall be replaced by perfection so that we shall live in perfect holiness and righteousness to the glory of our Redeemer forever. The image of the earthly shall be swallowed by the heavenly so that in all our nature we will finally and forever reveal the glory of God's everlasting tabernacle. Before all men, we will look like Christ. The appearance of death shall be removed. It will become manifest that we indeed possess all things, And for this manifestation of the sons of God, the creature is waiting, groaning with the longing to see that glory. That same glory the apostle also calls the glorious liberty of the children of God. We read in verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For that, the creature waits. Literally, we read in this text that the creature, the creation, shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the liberty of the glory of the children of God. What a beautiful concept. The liberty of the glory of God's children. The children of God shall be glorious. The apostle says it shall be a glory that shall become manifest from within. That glory is not something that merely shall be seen all around them. 
It will be seen in them. It will be nothing less than the glory of God himself that will be revealed in our whole being. For it pleased God, according to his eternal counsel, to make his children like unto himself in the highest possible sense. In goodness and righteousness and holiness and truth. And the radiation of this heavenly image of God, which shall constitute our very nature, reflecting itself in soul and body and all the manifestation of our life shall be the glory that we inherit. And it's that for which the creature longs, the glory that shall be revealed when our Lord returns. That glory is characterized by liberty. Liberty is very simply that we have the freedom to do the will of God. Unhindered freedom to do the will of God. We will freely submit ourselves to God's will and serve Him. And that liberty is characteristic of the glory that God shall bestow upon His children That liberty is difficult for us to comprehend now, at least it is for me, to perfectly will and do the will of God. But that shall be glory. With our whole being, we shall love God perfectly. Perfectly know and do His will And that state of liberty will be ours forevermore. Never will we be able to will anything else but the will of God. Because Christ will be our all in all. The eternal ground and source of our freedom in glory. For that liberty, for that glory, the creature waits according to this word of God in Romans 8. Why? When we look for the reason of the creation's involvement in waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, we notice two things. First, the creation itself is made subject to vanity and is in the bondage of corruption. And secondly, that creature is to be delivered from that bondage and to partake of the glory that belongs to God's children. The creation itself is subject to vanity. And the one who subjected that creation to vanity is God. But the reason was man's fall into sin. Man's sin had a profound effect upon the creation. Such a profound effect that in the time between Adam and Noah, man could just barely eke out an existence, survival. And then God recreated, as it were, 
with the waters of the flood and provided some relief. But look at how much toil and labor there is for us today, even in this creation. God, by cursing the ground and making the whole creation the stage for the development of the human race under sin and death, placed the whole creation in subjection to vanity. And it can be no other way because the creation must serve man in order that man serves God's purpose. The heavenly bodies, the plant world, all the elements in their ground had as their purpose to serve man as man served his God. But man refused to serve God. And because the creation stands in the service of man, and man has fallen away from God and refuses to serve him, all the existence of the creation, of the creature, became vain, vanity. Job summarized it this way in Job 14, verses 18 and 19. And surely the mountain falling cometh to naught, and the rock is removed out of his place, the waters wear the stones, Thou washest away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth, and thou destroyest the hope of man. But not only is that creation subject to vanity, it's also made subject to corruption. The whole creation is in the bondage of corruption because of its connection with man. Because in the first place, the creation itself is corruptible, evident from the devastation and destruction and death in the world. But also creation serves dying man. Everything stands in the service of death. When the tree bears its fruit for man, it serves up corruption and death. When our faucets deliver us water, they serve up corruption. Water has to be treated. And as the sin of man increases and develops, the creation increasingly serves up death. And that's God's purpose. Man curses and desecrates God's creation. And God's creation in turn serves to kill man. And in that bondage of corruption, the creation groans. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The liberty of that creation is inseparably connected with the revelation of the children of God. And for that revelation, the creation groans and travails. And without question, in the year 2023, 
we're going to see that creation groaning and travailing again. But in that groaning and travailing is hope. Do you see it? The creation rejoices today in the arrival of a new year. For the creature is to be delivered. And that deliverance is all the closer with every passing moment of time. Creation is to be delivered from that bondage and to partake of the glory that belongs to the children of God. Those groans and travails are not death pain but birth pains. The creation waiting for that tremendous glory that shall come by God's purifying, flaming handiwork now groans like a woman in travail until it shall be delivered. It groans even now. For that birth of the new order of things has not yet taken place. And the hope is not yet satisfied. The whole creation groans for that day. And the grand symphony of sighs that arises from the creation will not be in vain. It will bring forth a joyful and blessed fruit. The creature also shall partake of the liberty of the glory of God's children when God's children shall shine forth in all the liberty of their glory and shall occupy the varied positions in God's house as prophets, priests, and kings under God. God shall give to those children, to us, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth with new trees and new plants, and he shall submit the whole creation to us, that we serve him perfectly. That's the all-comprehensive idea of God's covenant. That's the meaning of the rainbow. The whole creation was bound up with man from the very beginning. And now, since the fall, the creature, the creature world with its ultimate destiny is not bound up with the ungodly who shall perish in hell. It's bound up with the children of God. And their coming revelation of glory in heaven. That was God's promise to Noah in Genesis 9, verse 12. The creation according to God's word to Noah, is taken up into his covenant. And if this all-comprehensive nature of God's covenant, a covenant that embraces his creation, is to be affirmed to us, and it is, God gives us his rainbow. 
a sign in the clouds. So we enter a new year. 2023. Let's watch for the coming of our Lord. I don't mean that he's going to return on the clouds of glory this year. It's not what I mean at all. We don't know the day nor the hour of Christ's return. Christ is coming. Even now, as we heard last Lord's Day, watch for that coming. Watch for that coming even in the creation. Watch the unfolding of his signs. In many ways, our suffering shall increase. Be not afraid, for the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us, and for which the whole creation waits with outstretched neck. Be not dismayed, faithful children. God's goodness indeed is over all his creatures. The ungodly have their existence now right in the midst of the manifestation of God's goodness. But they have no part with it. The wicked are not themselves the objects of that goodness. The wrath of God abides upon them. God will destroy them. Be faithful, children of God. To you who are his children in Christ Jesus, he will give the crown of life. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the whole kingdom, for timeless eternity. Amen. Gracious Father, we give thanks to Thee for the hope Thou hast given us in our exalted Savior who rules over all things, also this earthly creation, and who announces His coming daily. Father, as we enter a new year, give us to live in the same hope as does the creation, looking and waiting for the adoption, namely the redemption of our bodies. For Jesus' sake, amen.